Hey there. Sorry I'm late. You're two minutes late, dude. Yeah, I know. I just said sorry. I had the wrong street. There's all these avenues and drives and lanes and boulevards. Wise man say, forgiveness is divine, but never pay full price for late pizza. Um, if you're speaking metaphorically, I mean, I guess I get what you're saying. But not really. Just what are you trying to achieve here, besides busting my chops? Whoa, I'm sorry if it came off that way, but I really didn't mean for you to think- Are you trying to tell me how to do my job? No. And the question is rather out of context, don't you think? I mean, to follow your first question up with that one, it's a total non-sequitur. Non-sequitur? Hey, I ain't even never looked at another guy that way. Okay, this is getting tedious. Tedious? Look, I just told you- Enough! Look! Are we going to start the show? Or are we going to keep listening to you trying to string together a conversation using lines from today's movie? Because if you're going to keep going, I'll leave. And you can have this asinine little conversation by yourself! I made a funny. No, you didn't. You really, really didn't. In a world where the human race has nearly unlimited access to all forms of media, mankind faces its greatest enemy. I've come for vengeance. A looming threat. Can you look at that? What is that? A paralyzing choice. You have eight choices. Choose incorrectly, and I cannot be held responsible for your suffering. Is the next movie in my queue good or bad? Hey, do you guys want to watch Geely? A war that threatens our very existence. We have come to take over your world. And it will be fought over. Cows. Uh, one podcast dares to make sense of it all. So you don't have to. This is the Sacred Cows Podcast. And now welcome your hosts. Hello, I'm Pete. Hi, I'm Mike. And special guest... Hiroshi. Thanks, disembodied voice guy. Hey, disembodied voice guy, you know, while I was watching this movie, I kind of thought that you and Master Shredder kind of had a lot of similarities in your vocal stylings. Um, anything there? You're comparing me to that cream puff? So welcome to Sacred Cows, the podcast where we talk about old movies that you love. Today, we will be talking about the 1990 release Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, and we've got our special guest, Hiroshi... Hi. Hey, thanks for having me on, guys. Glad to have you. Uh, how's everything over in Canada? Oh, Canada's a wonderful time, I, especially in Calgary. We just wrapped up the Calgary Stampede, which is a festival throughout the entire city. And I can think of no better way to cap it off than discussing one of my favorite movies of all time. All right. Awesome. Nice. So, yes, if you haven't uh, figured out already, we're talking about the 1990 Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movie. I'm sure anybody our age probably has a lot of experience with the Turtles phenomenon. It was a huge part of my childhood, definitely, and uh, I'm sure we could say the same for uh, both of you guys. Oh, absolutely. Definitely. I uh, remember watching it so often that I wore out the very first VHS tape copy I had. 
Very true. You know, I don't have any data on this, but once the uh, once that was out on VHS, I think I was watching it at least two, three times a week for sure. Now, coming from the States originally, I remember getting a copy of it from Pizza Hut and I demanded that we go to Pizza Hut so I could get the copy of this movie. It was some special deal that was going on. I already own two copies. <laughs> That's how much I loved the turtles and that movie but you had to have the pizza hut version of course so did uh did uh your version have that that uh commercial with the baseball kid in the front of it oh man i forgot about that commercial where it's yeah they're all playing baseball and they go out get the pizza hut afterwards and yeah yeah so if you want listeners if you want to have the experience the real nostalgic experience of watching this movie before you Pop the movie in whichever way you watch it. Uh, be sure to go on the internet and search for um, Pizza Hut Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Uh, and there'll be a commercial with a kid playing baseball. And it's it's quite amusing. And uh, it feels like a little bit of Americana. There you go. Also, dig out all your old action figures if you've still got them. I'm pretty sure I do. So, Hiroshi... Uh, now that you're our very first guest on Sacred Cows, thank you for coming. Can you just tell us a little bit about yourself? Oh, it's an honor being the first guest, I gotta say. Um, so a little bit about myself. Uh, born and raised in Minnesota. Ended up moving up to Calgary a while ago. And you can probably find the easiest by looking up the Cthulhu and Friends podcast. I'm the editor of that. Have been on a couple of episodes and am fairly well invested in the geekly inc podcast network as well yes that's a that's a very great podcast we've mentioned it a few times in our feedback yes, episodes and also uh the geekly inc network uh there's a lot of people that listen to geekly inc podcasts that listen to us so we appreciate the love fest going around here and that you were the first one to come on glad to have you congratulations on the honor now again it's my honor i mean it's my honor entirely all right so uh, with that, let's get right to talking about the movie. All right, so now let's talk a little bit about the movie Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles in 1990. Um, I'll just start with uh, this was a very interesting movie because it was a movie that almost didn't get made. Right after the failures of the movie Howard the Duck and uh, mm. Superman IV, The Quest for Peace... Hollywood was absolutely not interested in it, making a comic book movie. This kind of movie was poison, huh? Oh, yeah. Uh, and it was uh, well before Tim Burton <laughs> gave us Batman. And especially when you think about the source material for the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, it was kind of dark in the beginning, so it's even a harder sell at that point in time with the lighthearted superhero movies that you had going on. Not, not to mention the idea was just kind of a strange amalgamation of just like any you know random words that you could throw together teenage mutant ninja turtles i mean people probably the first time you heard that you're like are you kidding me what the hell is this right right yeah and uh i know the the the, the cartoons and stuff were popular but at the time i mean the only movie that came out before this that was like from a popular cartoon standpoint that was live action um was the He-Man movie, uh, Masters of the Universe. I don't oh, yeah. remember very much about it, except it was very bad, and I thought so when I was a kid. Yeah. I remember it's forgettable. Oh, very, very much so. So Hollywood wanted nothing to do with even if it, it has a Saturday cartoon format. Basically, it took a long journey in, in development, which involved Hong Kong Studios 
uh, as well as American studios. Golden Harvest was the um, Hong Kong studio mm. that uh, released Enter the Dragon and was known for those and other Bruce Lee films. Sure. And uh, so they were very involved in trying to get this this made and they wanted to do an american movie and this was the property that ended up going there basically it got it got a writer um and it wasn't until they got jim henson involved that a jim henson creature shop involved that things started taking off and they could see that they could actually do this that was a good move on their part an extremely good move i remember very well how lifelike those turtles were at the time and I still think the animatronics... Wallow. No, it wasn't like you were watching it. Exactly. The animatronics are slightly dated nowadays, but at the time, it was mind-blowing. And honestly, it was wondering constantly how they're getting the mouse to move the way that they were. And no company could have done it at the time other than the Jim Henson Company. Slightly dated, but still very impressive. And, I, and, and the design, you couldn't tell that these were guys in a turtle suit at all. Even to this day. No, the, the mobility that the actors have in the suits, it's really, I mean, it, you would expect it to be this big clunky thing you're wearing, but they're doing backflips and, you know, kicks and all sorts of things. It really doesn't look like it's hindering their movement at all. It's fantastic. And the combination of those two studios, I think, is probably the only way you're going to be able to get that kind of martial art action in that kind of a suit. Getting the logistics together was a big problem. And then also the money to do it was a big problem because they realized that, um, this kind of movie, they were saying it's going to have big play. So it's going to have to have decent special effects and everything like that. New Line founder Bob Shea said they need like $6 million to make a movie. And uh, it was hard to get. Eventually they did get it. Um, and then you have, you know, these guys running around in the costumes, which were about 70 pounds, wow. um, doing all the martial arts. They couldn't see in the costumes when they were doing it. And it was all these... Um, Hong Kong actors that were doing all the stuff while the puppeteers uh, they had like remote controls and everything like that that are you know they could control the all the motions of the puppets from afar wow so hmm. uh, I was wondering how they did that yeah it, it, it's just fascinating I think Hiroshi do you have some things about some of the puppeteers yeah I splinter was the one that really caught my eye after watching it recently I went back and started looking at the cast and you can see throughout the entire film there really isn't a tremendous amount of star power at the time. And the biggest guy he had was Corey Feldman voicing Donatello, I want to say. But yes, mm -hmm. yep, that's right. the puppeteer for Splinter was actually Kevin Clash of Elmo fame. So this was one of the first real big pushes this guy got. And not only was he one of the prime puppeteers, he was also the voice of the character as well. And if you uh, you look at the, the performances, um, uh, the Splinter is definitely a standout um, without getting into the movie too mm -hmm. much. Right. Yet. But I agree. But of course, uh, once once everything started coming together and they, they realized that they uh, have a potential hit on their hands after a lot of work, um, you know, it comes out in theaters, and it, it is a such a huge hit after years. Like It was like four years in yeah. uh, development hell before it, it got out there. It takes and then, the world by storm, essentially. You and know. then New Line is like suddenly a moneymaker, mm -hmm. and uh, you get a, a sequel within the next year. <laughs> yep. One thing you can really thank this movie for is like building up New Line as a studio. Mm -hmm. I mean, if you didn't have this, the success of this movie, uh, you wouldn't have your Lord of the Rings 
you, yeah. you know, or other movies or the, like that. The, the tons of properties that were coming out of the studio in the 90s, for mm-hmm. sure. Well, people were able to finally look at that studio and say, we can trust that they will take a property, stay faithful, have fun with it, and make a successful movie adaptation. Uh, this is something you were alluding to earlier with the failures that you were seeing with some of the other major franchise movies that were out there. Finally, there's a studio who can actually bring it back. That's right. And it, it made the whole idea not poison now instead of, you know, waggling your eyebrows at Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. You paved the way for Biker Mice from Mars, <laughs> Samurai Pizza Cats. I'm sorry, I'm going to talk about these other anthropomorphic animals with mm. specific job titles. Uh, what else? Cowboys oh, and Moon wow. Mesa. Yeehaw. Oh, God. That is a pull. <laughs> Perhaps the low water mark of the whole movement. <laughs> But, but suddenly these things got greenlit, for better or for worse. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, I went there. Okay, so uh, now that we all know about uh, Peter's favorite cartoon, Cowboys of Moo Mesa. <laughs> Come on, that was an afterthought. Is there anything else, uh, I mean, about the, about the movie's history and things you want to talk about? Well, I'm just, I mean, that's a very good summary of how the movie was made. Uh, as we alluded to before, they came from a comics property that... Uh, not exactly kid friendly, I would say. No, but but it really ended up being so much more than just that comic. I know it was made by uh, the Eastman and Laird uh, duo. By the time this movie had hit, they were so busy managing their you know their empire of turtles, you know, uh, property rights and that sort of thing that they weren't even really able to write the comic anymore. This just was. Uh, a global uh, success and phenomenon in the early 90s. It was incredible. Okay. Anything from you, Hiroshi? Absolutely. Uh, You know, I think it also, you have to give it credit for changing the way, like you were saying, it's, it's a darker property to begin with, but it changed the way we viewed the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles as becoming the, the franchise that it is even still today. And when you think about, you know, the the fury that popped up when Michael Bay was going to turn them into aliens, people aren't thinking about the black and white, vicious, visceral comic books. They're thinking about this franchise. They're thinking about the video games that came out shortly thereafter. I mean, they were hugely successful. I remember dumping tons sure, of quarters yeah. in there. Sure, sure. And you could never beat it. Dang. But I when agree. it came home yeah. on Nintendo, you could. You had, well, you know, if you knew the code, could. the Konami code, baby. Yeah, but that was you your get only the recourse. you get the game genie. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but I agree. Everybody was mad at Michael Bay, you know, destroying their childhood, and really, this is where it begins. Yeah, yeah. Uh, okay, well, let's just talk about uh, then each of our histories of the with this, and and going to go into into deep detail. So. Uh, let's start with guests first. So, Hiroshi, why don't you tell us uh, your exposure and history to this? Yeah, I wish I could remember what the first viewing of this I had was, but it, it was so long ago. And what I can remember is getting... Uh, I, I want to say I had three VHS copies <laughs> of it at one point in time, one of which was this special package deal that you got from Pizza Hut and... Uh, and I, I was so enamored with the concept of these Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and, and I was so invested in the characters. I remember because my name's Mike. 
uh, you know, Michelangelo had to be my favorite. And he was also the funniest and the coolest kind of guy, you know, Raph being the tough guy, Donatello being the nerd who I disliked for so long, but has <laughs> since become my favorite turtle. Um, I, I mean, I had Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle themed birthday party. My grandmother oh, yeah. was kind enough to actually make me a fully knit Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles costume. Whoa. Wow. And, like, I, I was so deeply invested. They were the franchise for me when I was growing up. And the only thing that may have rivaled it was Star Wars, but that's a discussion for another time. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Old George wants us to talk about it, but mm, we're not ready yet. <laughs> Someday yeah, when George we're feeling can charitable. actually put the effort in. What's that? If Disney actually puts the money up, maybe I'll come back for that episode. Okay, <laughs> we'll we'll tell uh, we'll tell them that they uh, it's a high price though. I mean, seriously. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Pete, you want to tell us about your history with this uh, movie and franchise? Yeah, you know, similar. Uh, I was in the second grade when this movie came out, and uh, before this, it had pretty much just been, uh, you know, G.I. Joe and He-Man, that kind of thing being the obsessions. But this one far eclipsed it when this movie hit. Uh, every boy in the second grade was totally into this. All the girls were into New Kids on the Block. But every boy, <laughs> yeah, exactly. But everybody was watching this movie all the time we were just putting in the hours really just getting to know this movie and of course we had the action figures and the bed sheets and the birthday parties mm -hmm. you know I, I think my parents weren't even asking me what do you want uh for your birthday party theme this year they just knew it was going to be turtles <laughs> so uh yeah i loved it you know i was constantly playing you know the action figures watching the cartoons and yeah, it was a huge, huge part of my childhood. I can't remember what took over after that, but uh, girls, girls. <laughs> no, sadly, it was probably actually Star Wars. But uh, I still had a lot of fun with this one. And for the record, my favorite was Raph, the cool but rude guy. Mm. Okay. Uh, well, my uh, my experience is probably similar to you guys. I mean. I was right around the same age, I, I think, uh, like second second grade. I remember before I got uh, anything, I used to I used to get up all the time and watch it on Saturday morning cartoons, and that was my first exposure to Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. And then by the time the movie came out, I'm pretty sure I had all the action figures, and um, I think my brain even then was like, "Wow, these turtles aren't." They're goofy, but they're not the same goofy as, you know, the, the 90s era cartoon. Mm -hmm. You know, you're, I was like, you know, just thinking. It's just, it's just weird. Um, but, you know, at, the more I watched it even then, I think the more I think I liked it more than the cartoon. Even though the cartoon, I mean, there was nothing wrong as a kid. Um, I definitely watched that, have watched that recently, and it doesn't necessarily hold up. It's definitely got one of those things where it's like, Geez, they're using the same six frames of animation again. You know, <laughs> <laughs> you know He-Man effect. We're oh, spoiled. Oh, are we ever? Yes, yes, we are. But all, all um, that animation for adults. But yeah, I still to this day have all of the turtles, and they're in a big giant. Um, there used to be these ice cream tins my grandma got. Oh, from the those are fantastic! Sure. And it's like, yeah, yeah. Why? Why not have like three gallons of ice cream in one container? That's awesome. <laughs> That'd so, save me a lot of trouble in my life. Oh but. God, yes. So I have all of my turtles action figures 
in those tins and they are all still in great condition because they're you know kept safe from everything um and then like i still have like the turtle van and everything and uh recently we cleaned out my parents house and i i have those at my house now i haven't like made a a setup or anything for that but that'd be fun you know never had in the, the turtle future. van so i'm jealous right now oh <laughs> oh now it, was that the one that shot pizzas yes mm-hmm. ah. i had the pizza launcher on the oh, top oh man yeah <laughs> yeah all right so we're getting into real nostalgia territory yeah, here no kidding but it sounds like we need to get together <laughs> for a play date sometime yes get uh, our action figures oh absolutely <laughs> actually i should see if i can find my old i remember actually taking them and i was a weird child because i always like disassembling the toys mm. so i ended up having one that was a turtle body with like bucky o'hare arms casey jones head <laughs> bucky o'hare and that's a pull. some different likes i can't remember yeah, <laughs> oh, man. I love that dude. He was fun. Yeah, that was a, was that a video game first? I don't want to say. Hmm. All right. <laughs> well, it's not important to this. <laughs> yeah, right. Now that we're done talking about the the history, let's uh, let's talk about the recent viewing experience. Now, all three of us have watched the movie. Um, why don't each of you tell me uh, how your recent viewing experience, and again, we'll start with Hiroshi first, and then Pete, then me. Uh, I'll, I'll say this. Um, the nature of my job, actually, I had mentioned the Calgary Stampede earlier, it gives me so little time to do anything else. So I was exhausted when I was watching this movie, and I was prepared to watch it in multiple viewings, and I didn't have to. I was awake the entire time. I was still, like, pulled back into that nostalgic love for the Turtles. And going through it, there were a couple of moments where I was like, this is definitely dated, but I love that it's dated. Like, I'm still enjoying that fact. Uh, going through and watching it, I was reminded of all these different things. I saw things that I never would have picked up as a child. Um like Sam Rockwell, he's in there for a short period of time as one of the Foot Clan teenager thugs, one of the only ones who talks, mm-hmm. and it just further cinched in the fact that if Sam Rockwell is in it, I'm going to enjoy it. Uh, <laughs> and overall, I I really feel like this movie is one of the greatest bits of nostalgia for me from my childhood, partially because of my extended love of the turtles on a whole all right well pete what about your recent viewing for sure well usually you know i have a little trouble getting through a movie all in one crack but uh when i watched it it was bachelor night my wife and son had left town and they said oh you're going to be watching teenage mutant ninja turtles that's gonna be rough so i was like whatever i got a pizza i got some soda popped (laughs) as you do that's right as i do when it's bachelor night And uh, I was expecting it to be kind of rough because uh, right away when you get into the movie, it's like anybody who's heard me talk knows that I often focus on things like how painfully obvious the decade is (laughs) and that kind of thing. And of course, the first the first couple of minutes of this movie are just like, yes, we get it. It's 1990. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So obviously it's not even 90s. It's still locked in the 80s. The synth of that music as it kicks in. Yeah, oh, absolutely. It's before the 90s knew that it wasn't the 80s anymore. Absolutely. It's it's Mm -hmm. like, wow. Okay, so obviously good work on them not putting a present day title card under it because it'd be like, yeah, right. (laughs) So I just can't get into that. But um, I watched it and, um, 
you know, without giving away my feelings on the movie, I became more and more pleasantly surprised to realize that I wasn't absolutely thinking, well, there goes my childhood, pretty much. So, uh, you know, I enjoyed the viewing. It was what it was. It definitely helped to have a big old pizza in front of me, which uh, which (laughs) I I feel was particularly, yeah, (laughs) particularly uh, meaningful. Pizza! There. Yeah. (laughs) I might have done that a couple of times, but nobody ever has to know. So, yeah, uh, definitely uh, an overall pleasant viewing experience. Radical, 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 radical. radical. Is all I have to say about that. What about you, Mike? Okay, so my most, uh, my recent viewing was good. I had, I got to watch it with my wife who watched it for the first time. Um, She, yes, I know somebody (laughs) that's our era hasn't seen the movie. But she was a person who only ever watched the cartoon, and she never really went and saw movies when she was a kid. That just wasn't something that her family did. Hmm. So um, she ended up uh, watching it for the first time and, uh, you know, surprisingly thinking it was okay. And, uh, of course, I had a big bucket of popcorn because I'm more of a traditional movie guy, but pizza, I suppose, would have been better for this one. But, you know. You can get away either way. Yeah. So that's that's really it. So any any baggage that anybody brought in, any preconceived notions for or against, uh, Hiroshi, I think you've kind of explained yours. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I definitely walked in with um, a, a strong love. Like I said, one of my favorite franchises of all time, and I, I will say I hadn't actually watched the movie in at least a decade. At least. So it had been a long time since I had seen it, and everything I had was, everything I had brought in was just that nostalgia holdback of remembering my love for the movie, not actually remembering much about the movie. I actually got points mixed up. Wait, didn't, wasn't Vanilla Ice in this one? And then I remembered (laughs) it was a later one. Mm -hmm. Um, So. It, it, there was just a lot of emotional rather than anything else. I will say I've got to be in the right mood to enjoy that 80 synth. And <laughs> it it lucked out that I, I was uh, very comfortable with hearing that. Well, since you mention it, I would be really surprised if I have watched this movie in this century. So this might have been (laughs) at least 15 years since I saw it. Baggage? Just my wife saying, well, that's going to suck as she walked out the door, (laughs) pretty much. Uh, But, um, you know, I, I was surprised when I was watching it. To, to, you know, I was just like almost ready to start repeating the lines as they were saying them. It's like, okay, so I must have watched this movie a lot when I was a kid because it's just like riding a bike. You know, I remembered nearly everything. There were uh, some some jokes I don't recall hearing probably just because I didn't get them at the time. Oh, God, yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We'll get there. We'll get there. In <laughs> we'll the get deep there. Spoilers. <laughs> we'll get there in the deep spoilers. But, uh, you know, it was just kind of like, you know, it was like pulling your Boy Scout shirt out of the closet and going, oh, I remember this thing, you know? So it was kind of like that, <laughs> if I could sum it up with one weird metaphor. <laughs> okay, okay. Yeah, I had a preconceived notion that I would like it. I, I mean, because I loved, loved it, loved it, loved it when I was a kid. Um, but the biggest sales point for it for me was that I was looking for something for my very young nephews to watch uh, last year. Um, when they were visiting, and they visit every summer, they're coming soon. We we had a like three hour drive after we picked them up from the airport, 
and I'm like, what movies can I do? I got some DVDs here, and like, oh, the 1990 Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Well, I know they like to watch the current cartoon on Nickelodeon. I wonder if they're going to like this. So I threw it on in the back and, you know, the DVD in the car, and they were just laughing the whole time, um, mm. which was kind of a testament to me thinking, okay, if kids can still dig it and they don't understand the period jokes, I think I'm still going to like it. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of where I came in from. Yeah, I mean, especially when you consider that the new animated series is vastly different than what you see in this movie. Yeah, um, yeah, lots of, it's a way, way more um, kid-friendly, I think, than this movie, for mm -hmm. sure. I think so. Yeah. Things are pretty dark and gritty going on in this film, but uh, yeah. Is it worth noting, hold on, I didn't mention this, but is it worth noting that I actually had to go out and rent this movie because it's not on any uh, uh, internet media, as it were? I ended up going to a local video oh. store and having a conversation with this kid, uh, 18, 19-year-old girl, <laughs> who is just like, oh, you want Ninja Turtles? Oh, I hate that Michael Bay version. This one's the good one. And it's like, <laughs> so what, were you like negative six years old when this movie came out? What the hell? But, you know, it it, it shows that the, the kids are still digging the... Uh, the old timey movie storytelling <laughs> as opposed to the, you know, turtles with explosions or whatever it may be mm -hmm. kind of thing. So I call, I call them tank turtles. Because tank they, turtles. Seriously. Yeah. They're yeah. giant, they're gigantic. Tanks. They're hugely yeah. muscled. Yeah. I don't know. It's, it's, uh, I figure that's kind of a, uh, interesting thing that colored my viewing of this, this film as well was that circumstance. And I was like, ha 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 weird. Well, good on you. I will say Tank Turtles, actually, that makes me laugh, given the animated movie that came out a while back where Raphael had body armor. Oh. For some reason. We talking on top about, of his shell. We talking about TMNT, which I vaguely remember? Mm-hmm. Okay, sure, sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, that is technically That's part of... That's the only thing I remember from that movie. <laughs> well, that is technically part of the same series, so we will be talking about that in, uh, in a future episode. Yes. And I will talk about what I remember from that movie in that episode. And I haven't seen it. So what? Yeah, I grabbed the four pack because, like Pete said, it it's not on uh, it's not on any sort of streaming service right now. Uh, so I grabbed no. the four pack of Blu-ray because I only had the first one and I didn't have okay. the other. So I might as well just pick them up. Sure, why not? All right. Well, with that, let's get into the deep discussion and spoilers. So this is the point of the podcast where. We are going to spoil the heck out of the 1990 Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movie. So if you haven't watched it, go out and watch it. Pause the podcast. We're not going to be offended. Just go do it. All right. If you're still here, we're assuming you've watched it. So we're in the spoiler zone. Let's go. Let's start out with the, the basic plot of this movie. Uh, Pete, do you want to go ahead and, and explain just the 30-second elevator pitch of the plot? <laughs> So here's the here's the spiel, guys. No, I we were having so much fun during the banter. I'm trying to remember what I've already said or not. Okay, it's oh here's the thirty seconds. New York City, 1990. The city the city is still a big piece of crap. <laughs> Apparently, a Japanese warlord has come there, and he's now running a, a, a like Oliver Twist type <laughs> ring of petty thieves. And that kind of thing, slightly unlikely, but whatever. The only person who stands in his way besides the inept police force are four mutated turtles who've learned ninjutsu from their master who is a giant rat. 
and along with a sports authority vigilante <laughs> ass kicker and a news reporter with just terrible hair and everything that she wears is just like, what the hell? It sure is 1990 in here, isn't it? Uh, they get together and they thwart the evil plans of the the Foot Clan, which is the the before mentioned Oliver Twist group association. Yay! And that was more like a minute thirty, but well, uh, that's that, that's good. That's uh, sometimes that, you get on a roll with it. adjectives. There were there's a lot of ground to cover in there. There really is, and that that is keeping it at a very very high level. Well, it's always good to there. Now we can talk about all the cool stuff. Or not cool stuff, depending on what you think. That's right. Uh, well, well, I'll leave it to someone else to go into a, to start delving into the details, if you will. You mentioned that hair and the yellow outfit. Now, the yellow outfit is definitely a holdover from the cartoons. But I remember my mom had a friend who had that style of hair. And I had a crush on both that friend and April O'Neil on the movie for so long. Everybody in the year 1990 had that style of hair. That's just what you saw out on the street. Oh, yeah. It was... Pretty, yeah, ubiquitous and horrifying. I was going to say, I think every kid on the playground had that crush on April O'Neil. <laughs> oh, of course, yeah, right? It was just like, whoa, mm-hmm. a real fully grown woman. Yeah, and <laughs> scruffy Casey Jones comes in, you know, bum-knee former hockey player, and he's just like, hey, I'm, I'm going to be misogynist. I'm going to be terrible to you, except I'll fix your car, and now you love me. Good. <laughs> Yeah. I was always very jaded by that. He he is definitely the same guy the entire movie. I mean, I know we're no going to just... No character development. Yeah, right. No, yeah. no lessons were learned. He's just Casey Jones being Casey Jones. Well, a full major spoiler on him. Think about how he ends a movie. I'm going to murder someone and then go for a kiss. Yeah, he, yes. he draws like the only blood of the whole movie, like the the only, uh, you know, death blow, if you will. And then it's like, that's enough to get a movie, Dame. Right, right. Well, it, it, we're, <laughs> we're, we're jumping into the spoilers right here. But uh, at the end of this movie, the Shredder clearly killed by Casey Jones. This movie should be called Shredder Dies at the End. <laughs> well, and, and you could see the blood on the, the garbage truck. The garbage truck, which is crushing him. <laughs> yes. Mm-hmm. So, technically, like, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 2 needs to be, like, fan fiction or something, or alternate universe. But, you know, yes, Casey Jones, misogynist murderer. <laughs> misogynist killer, general no good Nick. <laughs> Perfect for our female lead. claustrophobe, so he has sympathy, Well, I guess. Th- that joke was pretty off-color. <laughs> I mean... And also, I don't remember... <laughs> that's one of the things I definitely didn't pick up on as a kid, that they're making a gay joke there. Right. Well, okay, so oh, you guys... I have the line here. And, and, like, the clumsiest one of all time. Yeah, the that. line is, you're a claustrophobic. Yep. What do you mean? I never even looked at another guy before. And what he means is you're kind of enclosed, scared of enclosed areas. So... He doesn't understand what a homophobe is or or a claustrophobe. Yeah. He doesn't get any of those. He's just a dumb guy. He just hears a phobe and immediately. But that's also kind of indicative of uh, if we're going to go real deep and, and break this down bit by bit. When you think about athletes of the era, there was such a anti 
gay mentality, regardless of your own sexuality, regardless of your own opinions, there's that, bro, you know, machismo. So as right. soon as anyone even remotely starts questioning, it's like, whoa, whoa, who do you think you are? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Not, not to mention sports figures are not always seen as the most intelligent people in the world. Right. Thus him being wrong Especially on psychology hockey on players. Like multiple levels. Mm hmm. Yeah, that, that I have to say, that was the only joke I found mildly offensive in the entire movie, which was a surprise. Was that was the yeah, case? Well, I mean, actually offensive. Yes, there were a couple of jokes. I think I actually felt were a little offensive to my humor Here, nowadays. Mm -hmm. yeah. But <laughs> there were some ones that were uh, I don't even know if they were trying to be offensive, but yeah, just a little racially charged. You know, April. I, I, I missed that. April O'Neil being uh, accosted by a bunch of ninjas in the in the subway and oh. then saying, "Oh, yo, what am I late on my Sony payment?" Or like, "Oh, did I stiff you with the hibachi mm -hmm. grill?" Or something like that, you know? Wow, like, I just had a "the more you know" moment. <laughs> na, na, na. To and that's the thing. To be fair, they were definitely dressed in ninja garb. They weren't necessarily Asian, as as you found out later. There's like one Asian in the well, two if you count Shredder. In the entire organization. Yes, it was the most diverse cast of, of stereotypical ninjas that you've ever seen. <laughs> it was. Well, it's, <laughs> how do you find that many, like, ninjutsu-trained or martial arts-trained suburban teenagers who are angry at their parents? Right. Well, you know, according to Raphael, apparently they weren't all that well ninjutsu-trained. They, they took the abridged ninja the, training. The <laughs> abridged ninja training. <laughs> Definitely, which apparently is just let the right hand man beat you up for a full little while, and then hey, here's your bandana. Here's your bandana, Good for you, kid. That's right. Well, you know these movie bad guys definitely seem to be suffering from you know movie bad guy itis, where they're uh, supposedly trained by a great master, and they all have all these skills and stuff like that, but they can be very easily dispatched by uh you know a skittish tv news reporter with a sigh that she has no use uh, idea how to use or you know anything or you know they fight with symbols and they all they all go down in a heap <laughs> and I, I right and i i the turtles break the fourth wall and, and basically make a joke out of the fact that they're inept bad guys i mean the 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 there's different jokes throughout the movie but you know like I can't wait till there's more of those or whatever mm -hmm. Raph says yes. when he's munched on the apple or when... Um, They're just katana fodder. Yeah, and then the, 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 when they have the axes and the only thing they can hit is, you know, the floor because they can't hit the turtles. Right, right. And the electrical wire. And there's really only... The only time any of the turtles gave him any credit was Raph where he's dispatching everyone up on the roof. And he says, you know, what do you think you can <laughs> really take me on? Then 30 or 40 of them come creeping up. Yeah. Good answer. <laughs> yeah. Good answer. Terrible bad guys. Their only recourse is strength in numbers, essentially. You know, one thing that I really liked about this movie, and I know we talked about uh, before the spoiler section, we talked about the animatronics, but man, that was like the turtles look like turtles. Like, I don't know how many of you out there in the listening sphere have ever actually held a real turtle in your hand. But their skins are kind of leather rubbery, uh, and their shells are very hard. The only part that sort of didn't hold up in the movie is that you can tell the shells are sort of a soft, rubbery material when they get hit sometimes. But other than that... But that's just so they can do backflips without, you know, like, 
mm-hmm. it being impossible, I guess. Yeah, they, so they don't get hurt, the actors and stuff. But uh, the turtles look kind of slimy the whole time. They're kind of like yeah. wet looking, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, they did a good job on that. And the only other thing I noticed with the suit was just every now and again, you see a seam around the neckline when they're turned a specific way. But you have to be hunting for that, really. Right. You know, I was looking for things that looked bad, and I didn't even see that. I I noticed one. I noticed one. But these days, see, they would just airbrush that out in in post. Well, geez, they'd be all CG. They wouldn't even bother with rubber suits. Okay, well, you know, there is the whole movement of going back to to not, like, the Star Wars movie is a good thing. So maybe maybe there's Mm -hmm. hope for a future Teenage Mutant It all comes back to Disney. Yeah, it really does. Give it to Disney. Uh, I guess some of the other things I noticed is there's some 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 jokes that I definitely uh, would only get because I'm the age I am, and I think like uh, talking about when they're running through the sewers in the, at the end after their first fight and they don't get noticed and they're like saying different things and Donatello's like Bossa Nova and then he's like Chevy Nova <laughs> like. Who knows what a Chevy Nova is in 2015? Well, that's just it. These guys are throwing out one-liners left and right. Hell, there are some that are too old for me. I mean, what the hell is that James Cagney impression? I I looked it up and I still don't get it. (laughs) I don't know. It's, It's, you know... I, I remember not understanding a lot of the references when I was a kid, but now that I'm in my 30s, I get like just over half of them. It's pretty bad. It reminds me a lot of how people felt about you know shrek and a lot of those movies animated movies that were coming out for kids later where there was just enough for the parents to be able to enjoy the experience along with the kids Mm. yeah that was uh i think that's what they were going for and you know i don't know i guess the fact that it's still watchable now uh is an indication that they succeeded on some level but uh i really don't know if they Mm -hmm. even try to do that with kids movies anymore it's just like hey parents welcome to hell for two hours well, your your higher end ones, yeah. maybe. Yeah, that's that's perhaps true, but that I'd have to assume Pixar. That's right, probably where they were going with that, and uh, maybe maybe that causes some of the uh, the feelings of not necessarily knowing which audience this movie was made for on certain you know at certain points in time. Obviously, you know it's it's a dark movie. We mentioned the comics were dark. It stays true to that darkness. You know, like. Lots of scenes in the sewer, grainy filming, low lighting, lots of uh, dramatic quotations from Splinter and stuff like that. It's all very philosophical. And then you'll have a fight scene. Cue the fight scene where they're fighting with with bike handlebars and cymbals and there's circus music playing. It's like, okay, we, we went from one end to the other. So what's it trying to be, folks? It's it definitely does feel a little disjointed at times, but I think it never really took away from my enjoyment of the movie. And there's a huge, huge tonal shift right after the Foot Clan really launches their first major assault against the Turtles. And the movie, by today's standards, comes to a screeching halt. But there was just enough going on that kind of kept the 20 minutes or so really interesting to me, even as I watched today. And I loved it as a kid. Oh, yeah. The whole farm thing is what you're talking about, right? Mm -hmm. Exactly. The farm where no action whatsoever happens. Right, right, right. Outside of them training a little bit out front. But it gives one of the most emotional moments of the movie, and I think one of the greatest bits of puppeteering in the movie, where Splinter, who has been captured at this point, 
all the turtles have come together to meditate and he's able to talk to them. And at the end of it, you see just this expression of hope where everyone was just so depressed beforehand. Right. And mm -hmm. I believe it was Leonardo even was crying mm -hmm. and you see the tears coming down out. Like still makes me like, gives me a little chill as I'm watching it nowadays. Yeah. That was a very well done scene. Uh, I think, I think more than one turtle's crying because I swear I saw Michelangelo too. Right, but just the ability to make yeah. rubberized puppets, you know, show the emotional shift like you mentioned and really uh, to have a, a puppet rat with a kind of a, a silly voice uh, really provide that emotionally charged moment, which is, it, I, I saw that scene and I was just like, wow, whatever magic just happened. I mean, that, that, that was pretty powerful. Yeah, and this that kind of goes back to like this is more uh, today's movies are more just like action, 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 action. Um, at least the ones that are designed for kids that are more action oriented. This is more um, where the heroes have to reflect in order to become better heroes. Mm -hmm. uh, and and so that whole farm thing is super important in that journey. Um, I think that's kind of like uh, what happened in the first Avengers movie. Again, where the the heroes are getting their butt kicked, and they have to kind of figure out what makes them heroes again, right. and then work together to do it. It's End sort of, of the second act, mm -hmm. yeah, of a thing. Whereas, like, uh, yeah, mm -hmm. your newer Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle movie doesn't really do that. Didn't see it, but I imagine it's just butt kicking and explosions the whole time. <laughs> I wouldn't be too surprised either. Well. Y I had no faith in that movie, <laughs> no especially kidding. when they decided to make Megan Fox April O'Neil. <laughs> Why? Yeah, the April O'Neil character was a, was an interesting one too because it was a very uh, a strong female character. Uh, other than the one thing in the beginning, which is like, oh my god, a rat! But I guess you know, people can yeah. have irrational fears of, of one thing, so that, that, that's forgivable. You know, my wife is super scared of snakes and not scared of anything else in the whole world. So. Uh, whatever right but i hate spiders yeah i i hate any crawly insect actually. i don't think i have any fears no i'm just kidding but i'll never tell <laughs> okay don't but i don't want to give anyone no. ammo i see I, I thought i thought it was ridiculous that she would try to take on the foot clan in the, in the sewer or uh, the the subway during that first attack but i thought it was kind of you know, brave of her to do it, you know, instead of just like, okay, I'm not just going to sit down and be taken by these guys. Right. Some would say brave. Some would say it's just a, a woman in a movie acting kind of stupid, but you know, whatever. That's would a big you? purse, dude. Well, <laughs> yeah. I, I much, I much prefer. And I think part of it, why April O'Neil is such a fantastic character is because she is actually a she's someone who doesn't take any crap at mm -hmm. work. She's going up to the chief of police and saying, "Hey, you inept idiot! Let's take a look at facts here." Right, that's true. Why are you ignoring everything? Like she really steps up and becomes a force rather than, "Oh man, everything sucks. Why can't you see me?" <laughs> yes. Yeah, you know, really, when you examine all of her actions, it really is just kind of a courageous, brave, you know, everything she does uh, is just direct, and whether that gets her in trouble or not, whatever, she's going to be who she's going to be. Well, and she doesn't put up with any crap from Casey Jones, you know, the typical jock misogynist. Right, exactly. <laughs> she puts him in his place instead of swooning at this point in time mm -hmm. for him. Well, I think it's more of a, 
at the end of the movie, um, other than the fact that he's a murderer, uh, it's more of a like and a, a, a emotionally immature. Yeah, right. yeah. Well, you know, they they set out to do some yeah. violence, so you know, he. <laughs> it's not like he was just gonna you know pick some flowers while the turtles fought. You know, he he played his part in the whole thing and really, you know. Flipped the switch that saved the day. Well, and rescued the kid and, and Master Splinter. Yeah, absolutely. You know, he showed, despite his emotional immaturity, that he has a good heart. So mm-hmm. that's that's a prerequisite for a love interest. You know, one very 80s movie thing I noticed about this, too, was um, the kid. Like, if the ki- it's something that is you saw in, like, um, the second Indiana Jones movie, you know, too, where Short Round Short was the round, kid. Yeah. But there's always a kid at least a lot of 80s movies there's a kid where they the kid has to go on the journey too like he goes from being like a a teenager who's just angsty uh and then realizing what he's doing is wrong and then he changes his ways to become a good kid i guess (laughs) at the end of the movie and uh that was that's sort of a sort of a trope i'm thinking well, the cynical moviegoer will say, or television goer will say, that they insert a child into the adult action to, you know, find somebody that the viewer can relate to and that kind of thing. And really, this movie is full of kids. Like I said, there's, there's oh, yeah. Master Shredder and then a whole bunch of street urchins that just take his lead all the time. So th- there's your, uh, not a role model, but good grief, there's your person that you identify with. Oh, Danny. What's that? Oh, the kid's name is Danny. Danny, that's right. Danny, um, yes, yes. Yeah. Danny Danny definitely, when when I was a kid, even I was starting to think, like, he's there so we have something to relate to. Mm-hmm. And he's there to show that even though things can get, you know, difficult and we think that things are bad, you know, parents may discipline us, it's really out of love. Right. And it's yeah it's all the basic tropes you expect out of seeing the the child right analogy in there if you want to look for a theme in the movie it's basically other than turtles are awesome it's that (laughs) uh you know your parents love you you're a bad kid you've got troubles you've got issues they'll all you know they'll always love you all i care about is you danny you know never mind that stolen walkman danny's such a dick he is such a dick not He's, you know there are definitely worse kids in there i still love uh when they're first going into the foot clan layer and you have all these kids and sam rockwell's introducing these new recruits he's like so over there we've got the pool table over there we're doing sh- craps you know you can go do whatever you got any smokes yes <laughs> menthol or regular yeah <laughs> these are just the stereotypical new york punk like this is so 90s new york stereotype and it's delightful living in a criminal empire whose base is basically pleasure island from pinocchio yeah right uh but but uh that's the point when you're an eight-year-old kid watching this movie saying "Ooh, these kids are bad they're bad kids yeah i always thought i thought the shredders hideout uh with the kids was more well thought out than that when I now, now seeing it now as an adult, I'm just like, wow, this is like a room with like a skateboard it's ramp and a couple arcade, arcade games arcade, and, yeah, and, right. a, and a craft yeah. table. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, like, you mentioned the arcade games. I swear I saw the 90s cheaters don't do or winners don't do drugs. Yeah, uh, sure. cheaters there. never prosper. Or stuff. While, they're, like, while they're playing the narc game. Yeah. Yes. Right. Narc. <laughs> that's what it was. <laughs> yes. Remember that one? Jeez. And while meanwhile, an MC Hammer song is blaring in the background. Mm hmm. These kids are bad. 
I, I have the soundtrack to this movie like on cassette tape. I have one functioning oh. cassette tape player, and I Ooh. intend on listening to it sometime in the near future and see if it still holds up. I remember the big deal, like, this was on Chrome. Oh, my <laughs> God, it's awesome. <laughs> Good stuff. How about the guy who's the ringleader of it all, Shredder? I mean, when you think of the Ninja Turtles and you're like, quick, who's the bad guy in Ninja Turtles? Shredder, always Shredder. His representation in this movie yeah. is just so fabulous. Let me tell you, it's ridiculous. The he comes out, oh. he's wearing the metallic zebra print cape, and I'm like, ooh, this guy. He, you know, where does he shop? And then, of course, that gets pulled back, and eventually he loses it because you know that just gets in the way. He's got the nice purple sequined blouse underneath. It's just like, wow, the 90s, you know, didn't even want to call because they're ashamed of this. It's like, wow, wow, wow. <laughs> what can I say? I don't know where I was going with that. I just wanted to say 90s. Yikes. Yeah. Well, no, I, I mean, Shredder was definitely a uh, he had the full 90s bad guy look. It's like, how do we make him bad? Put some blades on him. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Now put some more. Right. Maybe add a few more, mm -hmm. and then we'll see if that's enough. I, 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 there was a weird feature that I saw um, about these comic book writers or uh, artists from the 90s, and they were trying to draw up a character who was supposed to be this anti-hero or just straight-up villain. And just uh, before they got to the final product, I thought, this is Shredder. Like, this is that long to a T. Yeah, I mean, throw some blades on it. Make it evil, right? Definitely. And if that doesn't work, give him a jumpsuit that Michael Jackson would wear in concert, I guess. But, uh, you know, he, <laughs> he's he's been the bad guy in the Ninja Turtles all along. This is just one of his many incarnations. And I certainly remember watching it as a kid. It looked, obviously, a lot more timely than it does now, but it also looked a lot more badass than it does right now. You're, you're, you can't have, like, the world's most evil super Nazi being a villain in a kid's movie, though, so... Well, I, yeah, I, I think I felt like Shredder was pretty darn evil in, in the movie. I mean, I, there's yeah. so much acting with the uh, actor's eyes. Right, right. Yeah, you can just... That's all he had to emote with was the eyes, and I know there was the voice, but the voice wasn't his... It That's was true. it mm -hmm. was uh, the voiceover provided by the Darth Vader. Yeah, the English factor. It was the same. Yeah, Darth Vader style. Yeah. Uh, David McCarran. Yes, that's, that's the it. Guy. That's the guy. And no doubt about it, he was bad, if for no other reason than he was preying on the affections of innocent children. Right. But but yeah, just just an all around bad guy. You could tell he would stop at nothing to do whatever dastardly evil he planned, which I guess in this case was stealing electronics. Right. <laughs> What? That's the thing. I, the one critique I do have for the Shredder is, what's his endgame? All you know, the electronics. Because he comes in from Japan, and it's just like, I will get all of the electronics. I will warp all the children's minds. I will get an army. For what purpose? Yeah, we, uh, I don't know. Well, he, he's just hey, the, hey, we found these turtles. I have a purpose. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, hmm. Something from his past. He was just kind of waiting for it to happen. You know, he's like, my endgame is... Get the heroes to stop me, essentially. Well, yeah. I mean, you, you never know. I mean, uh, yeah, it's one of those things like if we caught a bad guy in the middle of his scheme that he was a realistic bad guy, probably wouldn't say. But, you know, like all the movies are like, I will tell you my villain monologue and tell you why I am doing this. You know, mm -hmm. uh, 
Maybe that maybe it's more realistic that way. I don't know. Just a just a thought. Got to start small. Right. Yeah. He gets an army of the foot soldiers and takes over New York. Who knows? Who are we to judge? Turns it into New Tokyo. It, yeah. <laughs> and realistically, if you're walking into a movie like Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, you do have to suspend some disbelief. So if my biggest gripe thus far has been, what was his motivation? Uh, we're doing pretty good. Hey, I'll tell you, this is the first time I'm even thinking about it, so... He there ha- you go. He's yeah. sad because he had to kill the one that he fought um, Hamato Yoshi for, the, his, yeah, his, his girl his, that they oh, were he, fighting for. No, he didn't have to. He just did, and he's like, all right, well. Crap. I'm mad. <laughs> oh, now there's a rat learn. scratching my face. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Then he goes to the rat capital of the world. What kind of logic is that? He's going to get his revenge on all <laughs> that, the rats. No, there's your motivation. That's yeah, what it there. is. Exactly. Uh, Oh, oh my god i love it i love it so what, what else i mean what what else is there to discuss about this movie they're teenagers well i wanted to i, I did want to discuss i mean some other it's not necessarily turtle related things um uh but it's some reference related things so uh like we talked about before pizza hut had the right to the vhs movie mm, sure so you get the pizza hut pizza and you get the movie and uh they have a commercial on it with the kid playing baseball but this was all about the merchandise all about the merchandising because dominoes Mm -hmm. had the right in the movie and they had the famous dominoes 30 minute rule they did which dominoes Mm -hmm. famously had to dump because of their drivers getting in accidents in the early 90s oh sure sure because they were trying to make the 30 minute rule because they would take the price of the pizza out of their paycheck back when that was legal to do Ooh. yes so uh you would have drivers getting into accidents the 30 yeah. minute rule and this <laughs> movie just promoted that dangerous dangerous thing also live somewhere confusing not only promoted it promoted making you a dick about it it's like hey you're a minute late yeah, no kidding. And by the way, you didn't think to look at the sewer, so <laughs> your fault. <Yeah. laughs> um, you live and you learn again. Uh, there's some, there's some, some, uh, some references to the Critters movie, which, uh, funnily, um, before we started recording the podcast, Pete had to ask me if that was a real movie. Yeah, I was like, is this even real, or does it just set up the where do they come up with this crap joke? By the way, I just said the word crap. But did you notice that they were kind of loosey-goosey with their swearing in this movie? Obviously, they say damn a lot, but uh, Raph says bitchin' at the end, and it's like, what? (laughs) Yeah. I mean, bitchin' was, at that point, kind of getting a little bit more established. I remember um, way tangential, but Nazareth, hair of the dog, was a big part of why bitch was acceptable Uh in the media. Because there was huge controversy when they were first going out on airplay with that Hair of the Dog being the song with the infamous chorus. Now oh, you're yeah. messing with son a, a son of a bitch. Sure. Yeah. All right. So, Glad you spelled it I out mean, for me, though. Bitchin- <laughs> <laughs> this is what my time in radio broadcasting school has provided. <laughs> there you but, go. Uh, so, I mean, bitching was definitely a bit more acceptable. But when you look at the adults, the human adults in that movie, they are the ones who are the most vulgar out of all of them. That's true. The, the police chief himself was throwing a couple of lines out there where it's like, oh, man, you just... 
and Casey Jones, the misogyny out of his and the homophobia. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, I think back in the day, parents were probably just mostly concerned that their kids were being exposed to sex or drugs. So well, all the other stuff was fine. <laughs> yeah. If you think about it. Yeah, they, they definitely screwed that line because if it was more realistic in the 90s, it would have been like the Shredders having these kids doing drugs. Yeah, <laughs> essentially. Hey, he, they made sure they had smokes. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Hard drugs like cigarettes. Yeah. The hardest. The hardest. It's the gateway drug to everything, you know. Hmm. Mm-hmm. In an adult-only Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, the Shredder is sitting on his pile of cocaine. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Oh yeah, some other some other references that um, people won't necessarily get, especially in like ten years from now, is um, moonlighting. Yep, like the TV show. Oh mm-hmm. man, yeah. Go ahead. I, I don't know much about moonlighting, no, so I, any oh. anything you can give us would be great. I barely even get it now. That was the one time I had taken a line from a movie and went to my mom and said, "What are they talking about?" And then she gave me the rundown on the Bruce Willis show. Yeah. Yeah, all I know is that Bruce Willis was in it, so you know more than me. Yeah, well, yeah. It was uh, comedy. That's all I got. It was HBO, too, if I remember right, right? I believe. Yeah. It wasn't TV. It was HBO. certainly a comedy that uh, children probably hadn't seen. No. uh, That was probably for the adults. And then there was the It's a Kodak moment, which... um, Definitely, as a child of the 90s, I understand and thought it was mm-hmm. funny mm-hmm. because I saw those commercials. The cla- Look them up if you've never seen a Kodak moment commercial. I'm sure there's ones on YouTube. Oh, yeah. I'm sure. But, but now Kodak is uh, basically a company that makes uh, film for like five or six movies and they hold a lot of patents. Uh, turtle wax. Oh, sure, sure. Yeah, nobody uses turtle wax you anymore. You can still get it, Michelangelo waxes their own yeah. car. Come on. Well, and, and not only that, I, I love the fact that he's getting it, Michelangelo goes in to get it to give himself a massage. Ooh. Oh. Yeah. So it's not even what the product is used no. for. No. Oh, but I think I see what sexy use it could be used for. Oh, God. <laughs> I they, love being you know, a Michelangelo turtle. did have a big... <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh, man. All right. At uh, least I hope that's where you were going with that. Yeah, a few more things. Um, I just had uh, I like the 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 ninja thief montage in the very beginning of the movie. I thought that was good. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I love that New Yorkers weren't phased by giant turtles running around like the guy in the cab. Like, yeah. you know, like yeah. you know, Raphael what? tumbles over and nobody cares. Yeah, he's like, "What the hell was that?" Yeah, it looked like a giant turtle in a trench coat. <laughs> you know, yeah. So where are you going? So where are you going, Laguardia? <laughs> <laughs> Nothing phases well, New even Yorkers. Casey Jones. Like he, I mean, like Casey Jones and April O'Neil have the biggest reaction to this, right? And even Casey Jones is just like, huh? Well, I guess we're fighting now because I don't know what you are. <laughs> and then, like one of one of my favorite comedic fight scenes of all time. Oh yeah, I mean, I I love the all of the quippiness between Casey Jones and Raphael during that. I mean, there's lots of quips in the entire movie. Sure, but they're just going pound for pound with that. Uh, definitely in this scene, we realize that this is a movie for kids, but the, you know, the, the dialogue is fairly witty in this part, but I do like how Casey Jones sees, you know, objectively, this is not a human being, but he just kind of says, oh, so you must be like a punk rocker or something. <laughs> a bald green punk rocker <laughs> that looks like a flipping reptile. Okay. 
whatever. I don't know if that's uh, indicative of a uh, flight from reality type of a, of a complex or if he's just like, I will roll with any punch, baby, because I'm Casey Jones. Who knows? Yeah. <laughs> or I'm from New York and everybody is like this. I don't know. Well, and Casey Jones looks more like the stereotypical punk rocker to me of the time right. than, Don, or than Raphael does at all. Or, or a, a proto I mean, grunge it helps that Raphael is a turtle, not a human. So, I mean, that makes a difference, too. The other thing I really noted on my notes was just that, the you know, we talked about the darkness and stuff. I just noticed the turtles bleed, you know, like yes. during the fights, they are getting beat up. They're bleeding and bruised yeah. and stuff like that. And I just thought... That is an awesome attention to detail. Yeah, the, there's blood in this movie. The way that the foot soldiers, I guess, if you will, are going down, they look like they're being, you know, horribly mangled, dispatched in whatever way. I thought I remembered oh, yeah. seeing blood in their, like, you know, headscarves and that kind of thing as a kid. Although I was looking for it this time and I'm like, well, I don't see any blood, but uh, I'm still yeah. going to assume that they're probably not getting up. But you do see um, one of the, after the first big fight with Turtles when they get away, uh, Tatsu, Shredder's right-hand man, gets, like, a weird look from Shredder. And it's like, you failed me. So Tatsu mm-hmm. runs into the locker room where all these Foot Clan are and just starts wailing on each and every one of them. And you see guys, before Tatsu even gets to him, have, like, blood coming out of their mouths or the black eye. Mm-hmm. So, uh, while we keep giving the puppeteering a lot of credit, I gotta give makeup a lot of credit, too, because yeah. after that big sequence where Raphael gets destroyed, there's actual like, bruising on the suit. Like They had that right. much attention to detail to give uh, make it look like he legitimately took damage. I wonder if they had, uh, you know, regular Raphael head and then... Raphael after a fight with the foot head or something like that on their costumes. Otherwise, it could have just been a makeup job. And but either way, it was. I thought they did a really good job of just not making it look like a bunch of rubber dudes, you know, walking through the scenes essentially. And did you notice how they like each of them had a very distinct face shape as well? I really right. liked that because it wasn't just them cloning the same thing four times. Yeah, right. Leonardo's was very round, very round. Like the nose was bulbous. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, the different uh, textures of the skin. I thought it was impressive that you could see their pores. Mm-hmm. Uh, but other than that, different colorations of their skin and that kind of thing. I mean, you could probably tell which turtle was which, even if they were all wearing the original red masks. Right. Well, and it had the same ending, of course, as the cartoon. Or as the, sorry, not the cartoon. <laughs> the cartoon didn't have that ending. Um, <laughs> the original comic, Shredder died the very first episode. Yeah. Yeah. Episode. I keep saying. <laughs> issue. Issue. Yeah. <laughs> I don't understand what books are. <laughs> oh. No, I, I will say the one thing I have mentioned before, how there were a couple of jokes where I'm like, eh, it's not really holding too well for me anymore. The very last line of the movie where uh, Shredder, or not Shredder, Shredder gets destroyed and the turtles go around like, that was awesome, excellent, bodacious. Radical. And then, uh, trying to figure out what the last one should be, Splinter comes up. I have always been a fan of Kawabunga. I made the yes. funny. <laughs> what came first, Bart Simpson saying Kawabunga or the Ninja Turtles saying Kawabunga? 
That's my question. Um, well, Simpsons are what? I'm like 30 years now? Yeah. Nearing 30? I think it might have actually I... been The Simpsons, but the Turtles probably popularized it. Probably. But yeah, that's their catchphrase, always yeah. and forever. So, so like, so after that wonderful line is delivered, you are immediately treated to the beginning of your typical Electronica uh, movie-themed rap song. And I don't know if we're ready to talk about this yet because it signifies the end of the movie. But, uh, but you know, this was the obligatory rap song in the 90s. If you had a movie and it was for an even moderately young audience, you were oh, going to get some poor schlock artist to write a rap song. And let me tell you, this is just like totally asinine plot points being thrown out there. After this, it's like, oh, yeah, I just got mugged. I need a reporter. Call April O'Neil and bring me a glass of water. You know, it's just like, what is this stupid bunch of shit being strung together? <laughs> oh, my God. But, you know, you had to, if you were in the 90s, you had to do it. I think uh, it was probably oh, yeah. just Will Smith who was the last guy doing that in movies. But everybody in 1990 who made a movie. But he at least did it well. <laughs> well, everything's relative. Well, <laughs> I mean... It, 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 I will give them credit. At least they had an original beat, which Will Smith definitely did not do well, for his movies. That's true. That's true. That's true. I, the, the lyrics were definitely rough as could possibly be. <laughs> true. <laughs> Indeed. Well, yeah, uh, the Turtle Power song has survived the movie because they've used it as like the title screen song for several like Xbox era Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle video games. Yeah. I don't know why. <laughs> I'm just saying it has. And it was... It was used in all three of the first three movies. I don't know because I haven't seen the fourth one if it was. Hmm. So it it is on every... Yes, I have the soundtrack for the first three movies because I was that kid. I'm not judging. <laughs> Dude, I flat out... I, I definitely had the soundtrack to the second movie. And we will get into the why at a later date. <laughs> I, uh... I'm going to just come clean right now. I have the Coming Out of Their Shells album on cassette, and I got it after seeing their yes. guest spot on Oprah. Uh, that, yeah, that was the <laughs> that was the thing that they cop, tried to capitalize on the Henson puppets and do like a live show with turtles singing. Right, right. And for just those a, of you who don't know, look it up on the <clears throat> internet. It's uh, epic. Definitely a case of uh, pop culture spillage or something. I don't know what it was, but... All right, does anybody else have any, any things that they want to talk about uh, in the movie before we get to the decision? Oh, I, I feel like I could keep going on for a very extended period of time, breaking down point by point what I loved about this movie, but uh, I'm not sure anyone wants to listen to me blather on for longer than the movie actually is. <laughs> Somebody does, I'm sure. But I, you know, I feel the same way. There's just, you know, every moment of this movie is a nostalgic moment for me. You know, anything I didn't necessarily remember just came flooding back. Other things I hadn't seen in, like I said, 15 or more years, and I remembered them clear as day. So, you know, it, it's it's a it's a complex movie, and it definitely bears a lot of discussion. Maybe they'll uh, make a college course out of it someday, like they did for Tolkien. I don't know. Maybe they won't. <laughs> Maybe they won't. Maybe if they I do the whole just, series. Let's work on this right now. Yeah. Okay. There we have it. All right. Well, well we're going to work on it uh, during the break, and we'll come back with uh, our final discussion and decision. Mm-hmm. 
So now is the time of the podcast where we all talk about the fate of this movie. Does the 1990 Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movie stand the test of time and be a sacred cow? Bovinus Sanctorum. Or are we going to put it out to pasture? Bovinus excommunicado. Uh, do we rock, paper, scissors for this, or should we let uh, Hiroshi go Why first? don't we let our honored guest grace us with his verdict? Okay, <laughs> go for it. Uh, if anyone's wondering at this point, you obviously have not been listening to what I've said. Uh, the only gripes I've had about this movie are such nitpicky things, and... Watching it again, not only was I transported back to watching this as a child and really enjoying the experience the way I did back then, I'm 30 years old now and I'm still getting new things out of this. I'm still enjoying every second, so hands down, sacred cow for me. Pete, you're next. All right, I'll go. Often I'm critical, overly, of movies uh, from my past, just because, well, sometimes you, you don't like the same things as you did when you were eight years old, and being several decades older than that now, you know, uh, that's the case. You may just be getting crotchety in your old age, or your movie tastes have changed uh, with the increase in special effects and pacing and that kind of thing. But I have to say... I was pleasantly surprised when I watched this movie. I was expecting it to be crap, and I just couldn't hold on to that feeling trying to be objective because the movie has so much heart. It really is a technical masterpiece uh, then and now with the puppetry. The dialogue, while clumsy and sometimes uh, there are a few too many surferisms at time, uh, it's really very well put together. It has a cohesive theme. It's got a bad guy you can love to hate. And (laughs) the ensemble of the good guys is really very good. When the movie credits rolled and I was treated to that horrible song, I immediately wanted to put in the second movie, but I restrained myself. So I think that's the test of a good movie, (laughs) in addition to everything else. I'm calling it a sacred cow as well. That's Bovinus Sanctorum from me. Well, shoot, now that we have three people on the show, my vote doesn't matter. (laughs) Aww. Aww. (laughs) But why don't you just humor us and tell us anyway? Uh, I think that the movie is also a sacred cow. And the reasons I think so are basically the reasons you guys have said, um, you know, to parrot some of them. Um, just that the, uh, the characters are likable, um, that the bad guy is somebody that you can hate. Uh, the movie keeps moving, but it has a nice, you know, middle period of the movie uh, where the characters learn something about themselves and become, you know, better in order to finally defeat the threat. And, uh... I like that they killed the Shredder at the end. <laughs> I don't care that, that, that there's a second movie and obviously he's back somehow. Uh, he, didn't, he didn't just go to jail to meditate about his evil ways or no. anything like that. They, uh, they killed him. Yeah, it's just, it, there, it's a, it is a good movie that stands by itself. It doesn't need anything else. It still stands up today. If you understand all the references, you get it even further. But I think there's a lot to like even if you don't get all of them. And, you know, it makes you look them up sometimes. You're like, what is that? I, I understand this is supposed to be funny. Why is this? Oh, I see. (laughs) So I guess uh, this is a three out of three. We are saying sacred cow. 
Wow. We can't even get uh, uh, consensus when there's only two of us, but to get everybody in agreement with three people, that's fantastic. That must mean something. Testament to this movie. Bovinus Sanctorum. Torum, Torum. And that concludes our discussion. We hope you enjoyed it, and we hope you enjoyed all of our banter, as well as our guest who did a great job today. (laughs) Good job, Hiroshi. Bah. Thank you. We had a ton of fun making this episode. No, I had an absolute blast with you guys. Thank you very much for having me on. It was our pleasure, really. Absolutely. At this point, we're just going to uh, say, as you know, we've got two, three more Ninja Turtles movies to talk about. Um, Of course, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 2, The Secret of the Ooze, will get its own episode. Uh, And Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 3, Turtles in Time, or is that what it's actually called? I think that's what it's called. Ah, I believe that's what it's called. We'll get it some time. And then... uh, Let me IMDB this. Yeah, the TMNT 2007 movie, uh, which are all in the same series, will get a episode where they're talked about together. So we'll be a few episodes away from the feedback. But we still want to get your feedback, so I'm going to go ahead and uh, tell you about ways to interact with us. You can always reach us by email at sacredcows at heroeoftheweb.com. That's sacredcows at heroeoftheweb.com. Of course, you can also reach us via Twitter with at sacredcowspod. That's at sacredcowspod. I, of course, can be found on Twitter with at White Morph. Pete cannot be found on Twitter at all. But you can send me smoke signals using a campfire and a blanket. And Hiroshi, where can they find you on Twitter? You can find me at maybe Hiroshi. So that uh, really ends our episode. Any particular things that you guys want to say as we're heading out? Cowabunga, dude! Radical! Pizza! Pizza! (laughs) That's my favorite. It's such a great line. All right, and that's the end of this Sacred Cows episode. Thanks a lot, everybody. See you later. See ya.